Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Every four years, we hear lots of big promises from our elected leaders. But nobody has yet made the promise that every single person who wants a job will have one. Zero unemployment. I mean, if they had, I've missed it. Maybe somebody has been so bold. But you're in luck. Because the Church of Jesus Christ, we don't do unemployment. How many of you guys knew that? We don't do it. When the Holy Spirit of the living God changes a person's heart so that they fundamentally trust God instead of distrusting him, they have been saved not only individually of their own, that person's own sins and their sin debt before God, but they are saved into a family. I often use the language of being a rebel. I, I have a gun in my hand. My gun is pointed toward God and his armies. But when he changes my heart, I still have a gun, but I am switched. I am now an enemy of Satan's sin and death instead of an ally. The army language helps us to wrap our minds around the communal implications of salvation. When I was saved, I was with a group of people who hated God and were warring against him. And when I switched sides, I am now with a group of people that loves God or allied with him, trying to push back every dark thing in our world. When you are a part of an army, can my veterans speak up for me right now? Do you have a job when you're in the armed forces? And I don't know if we have, we might not have anybody here old enough. But I mean, let's, the biggest example that Americans always go to is World War II, just because it was the widest in its scope. But I mean, can you imagine being on an Air Force base in the south of England, you're preparing, you're working with the RAF, you're preparing for Normandy, and there's a guy just sitting there like eating donuts who doesn't have a job. That's not going to happen, Right? Uh, some of you have probably heard before, this is, an unplanned uh, this is an unplanned illustration, so it'll probably be awful. Some of you know that if you've been down to Long Beach and you have toured um, the Queen Mary, that before the war, it was a luxury vessel and it got commandeered and commissioned into Her Majesty's Royal Navy for the war. Did you know that once it was retrofitted for soldiers it held something like six or seven times the amount of people could fit onto the ship as soon as it was not for luxury purposes. When it was for luxury purposes, there were tons of people on that boat that did not have a job. Because when you're on a cruise, your job is to relax. Brothers and sisters, the church of Jesus Christ is not Royal Caribbean. And when we're sitting on a deck chair saying, please hand me the SPF 50, that is indicative that we're not even aware that bullets are flying. As soon as that ship could hold seven times the amount of people and it was soldiers, like it didn't actually matter that you were in a bunk bed and you weren't particularly comfy and you didn't even maybe have sheets. Actually, it doesn't matter. Will it get you across the pond to where we're going to go fight? Yes. End of discussion. 
It's a total utilitarian mindset to say, will I be able to get where I need to be with my rifle in hand, equipped, trained with the people I'm supposed to? Like, that's it. It's not about comfort. That was for free. Okay. The core values of our church are as follows. Connect in authentic relationships, grow in Christian maturity, serve God and others, go tell people about Jesus. Not only so that they can know their creator, but so that they can now connect in authentic relationships, grow in Christian maturity, serve God and others, and go tell people about Jesus. So that they can connect in authentic relationships. You're looking at 2,000 years of church history right here in front of you in four points. This has been going on and it will continue to go on until the Lord comes back. Today we're going to dial in on number three. Uh, as, as one who was raised in church, I know that we've got people in the room all over the spiritual spectrum. Some of you were like, your mother gave birth to you in a baptismal. And, uh, you know, the doors were open, you were in church. Anybody grew up that way three, four times a week? Like, you weren't even a Christian? If you, yeah, some of us grew up. Who, who grew up? You did, we went to church, but it was kind of a Sunday thing. Anybody? Bunch of us. So not grow, grow up, not going to church growing up? All right. Still don't go to church, but you got dragged here. Still don't go to church. Um, now that happens. That happens. It's like, it's my new, new year, new you. I'm going to church, even if it's just once. Um, some, some of you's commitment to church is going to last as long as my diet. Um, so when the wife is laughing harder, you know how it's true. So <laughs> spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Um, Today we're going to dive in on, on three, serve God and others. And this is weird depending on what your, your background in church is, and here's why. Those of us who've been in church a long time, we don't even think this has to be talked about. Anybody already think it's weird? He's telling people to serve? Really? Well, here's the problem. One, those of us who've been in church for a long time, we assume a lot and we under-communicate because of our assumptions. Right? Somebody new to church said, amen. Lots of assumptions going on. Okay? We should not do that. We, we should be willing to consistently reiterate the foundations of the faith. Secondly, and here's the pragmatic one. Anybody heard of the Pareto principle? The 80-20 rule. 20 people doing 80% of the work, 80% of the people doing 20% of the work. Okay? It, it's a thing. It happens all the time. And yet, the scriptures, we're going to look at them today, the scriptures just don't allow the family of God to work that way. If 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work, that sounds more like a cruise ship than a battleship. And so we have people in the room right now, you have four ministries. Four. And I actually have to, from scripture, tell you, you might need to back it off a little bit. And everybody who's in leadership is terrified at me saying that. Don't tell them to back off. They do four things, but they do them so well, and they're so wonderful, and we depend on them, and we depend on them, and we depend on them. Well, where's the, question, where's the line between a healthy need, I need this brother or sister in Jesus Christ because they're living out their spiritual gifts, they're living out their calling, and where's the line between that and we need them to do it because the people called to do it never stood up and did the work? Where's the line? How do we know whether we're coddling people? How do we know whether we've got blood-bought brothers and sisters who aren't serving that they should actually be lead, taking the lead on that? 
Many of you know right now, you could close your eyes and think, and you could rattle off probably a half a dozen people in your mind that if something happened to them, you're just pretty sure the church would collapse. Because <laughs> they show up for everything. They lead everything. They decorate everything. They're, they're the one recruited. Like they're, they're wonderful, wonderful people, and they're probably tired. And I'm going to, I hopefully lovingly but firmly push back and say, those people deserve better from the rest of us. We have some of us that need to go from zero jobs to one. And some of us need to go from four jobs down to one. We have both of those right now that need to have. If anybody here has exactly one ministry in the church, I hope you just breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> he wants us to have one? Awesome. Let's talk about reasons to serve. There are all kinds of reasons not to serve, right? Can we, can we cover this briefly? I really want to, I want to empathize with those of us who have had a chance to sign up for a ministry and have not done it. There are some very, very reasonable uh, reasons, that's redundant, to not sign up for a ministry. Can we agree that if I watch this ministry and they are constantly in chaos and they never seem to know what's going on, that I'm intimidated by that? Can we just agree together? We need to talk about some of these things because I want you to, to know that you are not judged. If the ministry is in chaos, the only thing the ministry needs is somebody with the gift of administration. When that person is put in place, everybody else will be able to experience the blessing. Okay? That's a good reason. Or another good reason not to join a ministry. They have not let the rest of the church know what they need. We're working on that today with this ministry fair. Right at the end of this sermon, you're going to start eating yummy food and talking to ministry leaders and learning about the different ministries. Maybe we haven't done a good job of telling you. I think that happens all the time. Or we've not been clear about the role. We, we said we need two more people, but maybe we weren't clear about what those two people are going to do. Do I need you two hours a week? Do I need you six hours a week? Is it a commitment for the next few months? Is it a commitment from now you know, for 40 years. What, what is it? I, I keep repeating to you guys because it's almost apocryphal at this point, the story of the sweet-hearted lady who was asked to teach the second grade Sunday school class this week because the teacher was sick. And that was 40 years ago, and she has not left the second grade Sunday school class. She was asked for one week, and she put in 40 years. That happens all the time. It's not necessarily bad, but it does mean that we're not always carefully asking people to serve for a certain amount of time in a certain role. There are reasons that you could be intimidated. None of us wants to get stuck in a ministry that does not make our heart sing. I don't think my spiritual gifts line up with this. I'm bad at it. I can't do it with excellence to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, right? But I'm stuck because there was no exit door. At the end of the sermon today, we're going to talk about giving you an exit out of a ministry. Is that weird on a day where I'm trying to get people to sign up? Um, because we're a low-commitment culture. We need exits. So, anyway. So let's talk about the good reasons to serve. There, there's some reasons to stay away. We, we know that uh, if I'm self-centered might be a bad reason to stay away. Um, if I'm just so entrenched in consumeristic culture that I'm more of a consumer than I am a Christian, that's another reason, a bad reason to not serve, right? If, if I don't know, which we're going to cover this today, if I don't know that I am an integral part of a family, 
and I've been given a spiritual gift to share with the rest of the family to serve each other. Like, if I don't know that, that might be a, a reason, something that needs to be corrected through Bible teaching. So, anyway, you can only have so many preambles to actually get this sucker started. All right. Serving others is one of the reasons Jesus saved you in the first place. Did you know that? Now, I'm talking to Christians, obviously, when I say this. Jesus saved you. You, you love him. You trust him. This is very different than the get-out-of-hell-free card. If your chief interest in Jesus is to have your sins washed away, and that's it, you find Jesus functional instead of finding him beautiful. Try to make a marriage work where you're committed to your spouse as long as they are functional. For richer or richer, for health and health, when things are going well and when things are going well, till it's no longer convenient, do we part? Right? It's a bummer when you say what you actually mean. It's... It sounds more cute and more romantic to say my commitment is really broad. But Jesus did not save any Christian ever for the exclusive purpose of washing away their sin and then being and then he's done. There's no more purpose. Like, way too broad. Conrad got up here and shared last week that there's a book that'll tell you at least 50 reasons that Jesus died on the cross to, and to save you. One, chiefly, God gets glory by ransoming sinners back to himself. He makes his name famous so that people hear his name and know who he is and can also respond to his glory. One is because he's just a merciful God. It's in his nature. But we're about to see another reason. So here's an early church father speaking almost 2,000 years ago. You can find it in Ephesians 2 if you want. Paul says this, God saved you, talking to a church in Ephesus, by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. How many of you guys know arrogance inside the church? Like, it's not supposed to be a thing, right? Our message is that we were so messed up, someone had to come and save us from ourselves. That's our message. So the arrogance, we, we have to continually nail it back to the cross. For we are God's masterpiece. You guys see that? I was raised in church where he always emphasized the word masterpiece, like how special. It's kind of snowflakeism with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in. But God's, God has to be the emphasis of that part of the sentence because look what happened before. Your salvation is not something you can take credit for. It's a gift from God. Don't be arrogant. Don't be boastful. Don't be self-focused in the fact that you're on God's team now. It's not a reward for the good things you've done. You can't boast about it. You are God's masterpiece. It's an emphasis on the artist. A masterpiece has an artist, amen? He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can feel good about ourselves. Oh, I did it. I did it wrong. Uh, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can have a, a group of friends and a tribe of people that all think like us. No? 
He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we don't go to hell, but we can live like hell because he forgave us. I'm doing my best, folks. Listen, I went to public school. Quit judging. Um, <laughs> not too much, actually. Um, so we, as Christians, the church, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Righteous living is one of the answers. It's not the sum total by any means. It is one of the answers of why did Jesus Christ go to a terrible cross on our behalf? If, and I want to keep saying this until you're all blue, we're all blue in the face, if the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him always, if the chief end of God is to glorify God, then we have to see a connection here. One of the reasons that Christ died and ransomed sinners back to himself is that we would do good works. What did Jesus say about good works from the church? Let your light so shine before men that the world will see those good works and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. It's still about God's glory. So the church doing good things, treating each other well, treating the world well, is still about God being made famous. And, and that has to be, even if you want to have a kind of a man-centered uh, theology of salvation, you'd still have to admit, if you look through scriptures, that people getting saved by God always still ends up with God getting his glory. We go, what? Saul is now preaching the same gospel he persecuted? And they gave God glory. Wow. Wow. Because human beings, the creation, giving the creator praise and honor and glory, that's just preparing us for heaven. It's giving God all of his rights, everything to which he's entitled, and it's preparing us for heaven. So there's, there's your proof right there. There's your proof. Ser- serving others is one of the reasons Jesus saved you in the first place. So I, I want to be tough. If you call yourself a Christian... If you love Jesus and you are not serving the family of faith in any way, you are out of step with what God has designed. Okay? And and Christian preaching is not about the condemnation of the listener. It's like a massage from a 300-pound Swedish woman named Hilga. When she presses her elbow down into that place under your shoulder blade and you say words you have to apologize to Jesus for, okay, She's not doing that to torture you. She found something that needs to be corrected. Okay? So when the word of God presses in on us and it's hard, this is for our ultimate benefit, okay? No one's looking down their nose at you. This is a call to action. This is a call to repentance. If you happen to not be serving, maybe some of us here in the room, if we looked real honestly at what our weekly schedule looks like, we're giving the Lord an hour of service, uh, giving the Lord, all of it is the Lord's, but we're giving the church family an hour of our week, maybe in some way. But if we're honest, maybe we could cut back on other things and we could give three hours. Like, who knows? You're going to have to individually pray through and think through what you're able to do. But I, I would ask this, do our individual calendars, do they look like Jesus raised himself from the dead? Do they, you know what I mean? If my friend from work looked at my schedule, would he or she be utterly convinced 
whoa, this person really thinks Jesus raised himself from the dead and that the knowledge of Jesus is the only way to be in heaven for eternity reconciled to God. You know what I mean? That does not mean everything else isn't sacred. When you go to work, that's sacred. Work was there before the fall in Genesis 3. Work is good and sacred, and if you are a Christian, you are there to bring salt and light into your workplace. Sleep is sacred. Sleep is this declaration that God's going to have to run the cosmos. Being with family is sacred. Like, Don't turn yourself into a monk. I'm not saying you need to find 12 hours a day to work on your ministry. Like, That's not what we are talking about. But we do need to ask the question, does my calendar look like I am still far from God or does my calendar look like I have been transformed by the gospel? The happiest place on earth is Disneyland. But the second happiest place on earth, we all know, is Costco on a Saturday afternoon. Maybe that would be a good place to hand out pamphlets on hell. Um, I don't know about you guys. Pastor Greg has the uncanny ability of entering into this giant box. And his wife has told him what to get. There's even a note on his phone of all the items. And I can come out with all kinds of things. Maybe that weren't on the list. Maybe. And I can forget something that was on the list. Maybe it was like one of the more important things I really should have prioritized. There's a note on my phone. We didn't have this 10 years ago. Goodness gracious. And I can still walk out of Costco with things that I did not necessarily need, were not on the list, and have failed to have gotten everything that was on the list. I know none of you can empathize with that. But my problem is there are so many shiny things. And let's be honest, half of them look quite yummy. Shiny wrappers. Every single product that you're looking at has a professionally paid marketing department behind it to choose the font, to choose the image, the size of the image, the amount of white space. What, is it in a bag? Is it in a box? Everything in this store is designed to grab my attention. And I think that in the same way I can go in knowing my mission but be quickly distracted by shiny objects, I think this happens to Christians. We proclaim our allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom is the point of the whole world. His kingdom, the expansion of the church, going out and bringing the gospel to the nations is the point. But you and I live in a world with lots and lots of shiny objects. And I am concerned that those of us who call ourselves Christians, that we will get to heaven with a cart full of stuff, half of it is stuff that Jesus never asked us to do. And some of the essential things that he did tell us to do aren't in the cart. This is why we have to keep going back to brass tacks, the most basics, 
of Christian teaching. If I was saved, some of your translations, I, I've got the, um, I think, uh, NIV in my head, saved unto good works, saved for the purpose of doing good works and blessing others. I might be distracted by every other thing this world has to offer. Fill my budget with things that don't necessarily matter. Fill my calendar with things that don't necessarily matter. Or maybe they're just of secondary importance. Next, for your note takers. Jesus' crucifixion was an example of service he left to his followers. Did you guys know that? His crucifixion. Not his life, not his cool Zen-like sayings that people like to quote out of context 2,000 years later. Not even being nice to everybody, although his righteous life was critical. Jesus told the church that his death was the example he was leaving. Now, we might struggle with anybody under the age of 20 on this one because puzzles are now on devices more and more. But I'm struggling. I'm doing my best I can to find the broadest analogy we can all relate to. So, safe place to be honest. Who here has looked at the box of a puzzle, considered carefully, looking back to the piece in your hand, and in an instant of looking at the piece in your hand, are so confused about where it fits, your eyes dart back to the box almost instantly. Anybody ever done that? Sometimes it's rotate that sucker 90 degrees and all of a sudden it makes sense. Sometimes it's, man, my brain can't even make sense of this. These colors are so common in different parts of the image. We know in assembling a puzzle that there is a constitution, so to speak. There is canon to look at. There is an example. The cover on the box, unless somebody sick and twisted is playing an April Fool's joke on us, the cover of the box is the exact image of what we are trying to replicate with all these separate pieces. Are you with me so far? Say yes. So we look at it for a thousand piece puzzle. We might look at that 5,000 times or more. So I'm going to show you another box lid and look carefully at this example. Do I look at it a thousand times a day? Some of you guys complain that I keep railing against American culture, but you guys don't understand. American culture is telling you the opposite of this. I have no choice. Everything on that screen is telling you you'll be happy if you buy this car or buy this house or get some more money in your 401k. And our rabbi said, Here's the example. How am I supposed to be making decisions with my marriage? Look at the box top. Is 
How am I supposed to be working with my kids or my grandkids or the kids in children's ministry? Look at the box top. Okay, honey, we got to work on our money. Let's, let's handle our finances. Gosh, what do we do? We look at the box top. This passage I had you turn to, go ahead and open it up. Matthew chapter 20. Again, if you have the hardback Bible, you're on page 818. Everybody else, Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 20. If you're new to our church, at least once during the sermon, I have you turn to it yourself, and and I want you to grow comfortable with the scriptures so I don't put the words up on screen for these longer texts. I want you to read it for yourself. Matthew 20, verse 20. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? He replied. She replied, In your kingdom... Please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right, the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? He just said his cross is what puts him at the right hand of the Father. It's his suffering that that earns that. Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Jesus told them, this, about, this, not your favorite Bible verse. You ready? You will indeed drink from my bitter cup. He's saying they will be martyred. Nobody, nobody in churches that emphasize prophecy, nobody ever prophesies this way. And that's what makes me have the EBGBs. The Bible is filled with prophecies of literally Jesus telling Peter how, that he's going to die through crucifixion. Anybody enjoy that one? You're giving your whole life to your Lord? He's like, yeah, you're going to keep giving me. And, and then one day, you're, you're going to die by crucifixion. Huh? Lord, did I really need to know that? Trusting his wisdom. You will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right and my left. So this is interesting. You've got these two brothers trying to claim position, authority, Give us the awesome spot. And Jesus is willing to say, this is above, this isn't in my authority to say who sits at my right and my left. So you see humility from the one who is morally perfect, who is the God man. You see arrogance from broken people like you and me. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, so you see this room for conflict? Two verses 10, two have asked for position. The 10 hear about it, they're ticked. He calls all 12 together. Okay, kids, come on. Family meeting. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Did that sound like a suggestion? Did that sound like soft and fluffy Jesus who smokes a peace pipe? Crimped hair? No. 
it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And this is a dynamic equivalent. They're being very kind. Slave. Some of your translations. Categorically, making yourself a different person with few to no rights, and you choose that. I am choosing to let go of my rights to serve the people around me. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man, his favorite name for himself, came not to be served, but to serve others. I came to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. His cross is the example of being a servant of others. Now, in case you uh, draw a quick equation and freak out, Jesus is not calling you or me to die on a cross for the sins of others. We're not worthy of it. Paul tells us that the old self has to continually be crucified with Christ. That's talking about a journey in holiness. But the church's calling is really simple. Live out the one another's, love and serve our world, and bring the gospel day in and day out to anybody who will listen. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Do you know about Jesus? Do you know Jesus died for you? I got to tell you about, have I told you about Jesus? Yeah, Tom Brady's probably leaving the Patriots, but have I told you about Jesus? I need to tell you about Jesus. Have we talked about Jesus yet? The calling for the church is really quite simple, especially if we keep this thing open. It's not as fuzzy as we think it is. Third and final point. I've got to speed through this and wrap this up. God has told you, if you're a Christian, that you're part of a family, and that family needs you. The family that you're part of, the family of God, here, the ecclesia, the local gathering of the church family, we need you. Did you know that? We need you whether we realize it or not. Turn with me. We'll have to do this fast because if, if I am standing between you and pork sausage, I'll probably get killed. Um, turn quickly to page 957 if you're in the hardback. Everybody else, 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Again, page 957. 1 Corinthians 12. This is one of those texts that I probably should slow down and preach it for three or four weeks. It's just so blatant. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip to verse 14. 1 Corinthians 12, 14. Also the Apostle Paul. We're in the middle of a thought. I apologize. Yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. So your self-assessment, I don't feel like I'm special because I don't have that gifting or that ability or those experiences. If I was in that ministry, man, that'd really be special. But I, I'm over here, and so I'm, you know, in my skill set, my experience, I'm over here, so I guess, I don't know. Like, do you just hear how all self-focused that is? The, the pity party excuse to not serve? The aww. Okay. Uh, I, again, I... I feel terrible, awful, actually, for Melissa because 
the lead pastor of this church used to be a worship pastor. And so it gives me a lot of perspective. When I was a worship pastor, you, you see it all the time on the stage is the prima donnas. If I can't be on stage, I won't serve at all. I've seen people leave a church because they couldn't be on the stage. I'm like, uh, so there's this guy named Jesus. I want to tell you about him. Because right now you think that you are the center of this and you're not. You think you're going to get to heaven and you're going to order Jesus around about which role you have? You're going to be miserable if you get there. Jesus is going to be telling us how things are going to go. Anyway, 16, if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? He's saying your own self-perception has no bearing on reality. If God has made you to fit in with the puzzle that is the family of God, you have something that God has put into you to bless others, period. Whether you realize it, whether the team leader realizes it, it's there. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Our bodies have many parts. God has put each part just where he wants it. I'm just going to stop right there. I'm actually going to close it right there for the sake of time. That was really clear, wasn't it? He has put the, places, the pieces of the body just where he wants them. Your experiences are what they are. Even the painful ones under the direction of a sovereign God who wants to redeem those experiences for his glory, for the blessing of people around you. He has given you a spirit, at least one spiritual gift. He has given you abilities. He has made your brain work however it works. I often feel like my brain doesn't work. My wife says, amen. But the reality is it works a certain way. And so I have to lean on other people whose brains work differently, right? We don't have to because something doesn't seem to work. We don't go, oh, woe is me. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not an ear. Oh, I guess I'm not a part of the body. We cannot, must not, brothers and sisters, do that. We cannot, must not do that. Another way of stating this exact same point, the church of Jesus Christ is a 100% employment institution. If you are a Christian, there is a spot for you to serve. Not just a spot, but there's something God has designed you to do. If you know how to handle lawns and do so with excellence, I promise you Bruce could use some help. I promise you. But I know Bruce, so I want to promise you something else. If you're ready to come in and do C-minus work, he'll kick you in the face with a steel-toed boot. I saw his roundhouse kick. He learned from Chuck Norris. Okay? And I say that because I actually want to endorse it. Every one of us should be in a ministry where we know what A-plus looks like, and we're going to give God our very best. Okay? Some of you, maybe you're in children's ministry, but you know in your bones you're kind of a C-minus children's minister. But if you moved over here, you could be A-minus a- just like that. Like your, your abilities, some of us, we've got to, and I'm giving you the permission now, we need some of us to have the permission to make a horizontal move from a team where we're not particularly strong to one where we know God has designed us and suited us for that. So, two questions I'm going to ask you. If you're a guest today, you're not sure what you think of Jesus Christ. The whole discussion about serving actually is very dangerous for you because we do not serve God, the God of the Bible, until he has first served us. Who is in the position of strength and who is in the position of weakness? 
Okay? The one who can choose to serve, literally condescend. We use condescend as a negative word. Theologians use it as a beautiful thing that God came down to us. Who has the power to condescend and come and wrap a towel around his waist and wash our feet? God does. And if Jesus said to Peter, look, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can have no part of me, then he's saying it to all of us. Okay? So if you're not a Christian, here's what I need you to understand. You, there are certain teams that if you just would like to serve because you hang out with us and you have felt loved, which I hope you have, you'd like to be a part, you may absolutely be a greeter. I will give that green lanyard badge to any friendly person. Okay? But please do not think that your serving God makes him owe you something. He does not like you better because you served. He does not love you more because you have served. And in fact, to believe that is an offense to the Father because he has already given you all that he could possibly give when he gave you Jesus Christ. He cannot give you more than he has already given you. He cannot love you more than he has already loved you. Serving is something we do because it is our joy to respond to our Father with our Father's behavior. He serves, so we serve. End of discussion. That's it. All right? So if you're not a Christian, will you let God serve you? You don't want to go to that cross, I promise. Allow Jesus to go to his cross on your behalf. Trust in his cross to wash away your sin. Don't choose to, to figure it out on your own. And then if you love Jesus and you call ARCF your home, I want to be very specific. For those of you who don't yet have a ministry, not committed hardcore to a team, I am going to ask you right now, as we're about to get up, if you're part of a team leading, you need to do something with food, go ahead and go. You're not going to offend me. I want to ask you to try out a team for 90 days. I want to ask you to try out a team for 90 days. Talk with the team leader about it. If sometimes we just feel like we're going to get stuck in something for 40 years, okay? But we need to stay long enough to really see what the ministry is like. So if you don't have a ministry yet, I want to ask you to consider joining one that seems interesting to you for 90 days. And at the end of that, if that team doesn't fit, that's okay. Those of you who do have a ministry, here's what I'm asking you to do during this ministry fair brunch. It is critical that each of us, as we invite people to come worship with us on a Sunday morning, invite people to come investigate Jesus Christ, we may not have a six-year-old ourselves, but we need to know what's going on in children's ministry because my neighbor that I invited might have a six-year-old. Does that make sense? We need to know what's going on in the different ministries. So I'm going to ask you, we've got 30 minutes now, I'll start the second service late, whatever. I'm going to ask you, there's going to be different food items as you mingle around, small plate, it's going to be a good time, mingle around the room. I want to ask you to, don't be totally ghetto, don't just steal the food and run. At least read a little bit of what's on their ministry board, okay? I want to challenge you, if you call ARCF your home, I want to challenge you. Could you, in one sentence, give a pretty decent description of what that ministry is up to? That's my challenge to you if you call ARCF your church home. To, by the end of this time together, you say, you know what, I could tell you what Kairos is all about. You know what, I could tell you exactly what the, the food closet is trying to do. If you are aware, you're able to connect other people into those ministries when the opportunity comes up. Amen? Okay, so the starting table is right over there where there are plates and napkins and forks. So you're going to start there, and then there are going to be food items around the room. 
Uh, I'm going to run frantically to go get the pork sausage out of the music room that are in those crock pots. Uh, so it's going to be a good time. So mingle around. I'm going to pray for us uh, and bless the food. How's that sound? Okay. Holy Spirit, we do ask that you would use this time to move the ball forward, Lord, as it relates to how we serve you, serve each other, and serve our world. Please grow us, God, through this time. In the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said, amen.